1: Well, it's a Monday morning. Means it's time for us to catch up with what's happening in the murky world of politics. Joined by Martin Isles from the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin, good morning.
2: Good morning, Ken. Straight from the straight from the murk and mire, coming to talk to you. <laughs> well,
1: let's uh, let's start with uh, hoping. I guess what they're hoping it will do is clear the murk and mire from the atmosphere, um, oh, as uh, the Paris Agreement on climate change. That's uh, uh, they're reckoning that they want to keep the rise in global temperature down to less than two degrees, ideally 1.5 degrees.
2: Yes. Um, look, this all confuses me uh, a lot. I mean, quite divorcing uh, what anybody thinks about climate change, whether it's happening, whether it's human cause or whatever. Um, uh, there's an interesting analysis of the Uh, summit itself and the treaty itself written up by uh, John Lomborg who is a guy who believes climate change is real, who believes that people can influence um, climate change Uh, and he however is sceptical about the methods that are used to combat it. They're very expensive and mostly ineffective and so it does confuse me an awful lot the way that they go to all of this effort. They get delegates thousands upon thousands of delegates flying in from all around the world. Uh, They have this enormously expensive uh, conference and they have this uh, agreement that's wrangled out over many days and costs a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And at the end of it, it would appear that if every single country party to that agreement keeps all of their commitments uh, to the letter and there's absolutely nobody who fails at anything, then they will prevent 56 gigatons of carbon dioxide from going into the atmosphere up until 2030. Now, most there's an awful lot of different opinions about this, but but the most commonly... um, most commonly promoted figure, uh, in order to be able to reduce, increase uh, a temperature increase of two degrees, in order to be able to prevent that, uh, most commonly they say you need to prevent six thousand gigatons of CO2 going into the atmosphere uh, over that period of time. So, I mean, it seems to me that just on the face of it, they're never, not going to achieve their two degrees. Um, so, it's, it's surprising to me. Uh, I'm not sure where ideology comes into all this and where practicalities come into all of this. Um, if climate change is something that needs to be fought, it seems to me this is a very strange way uh, to go about it um, for what seems very small gain. And I think the costs will be about $1 to $2 trillion every year from 2030. So there's lots of numbers banded around. Those are just the ones that seem to be most commonly out there uh it's a difficult issue so I, I, I personally i i find it perplexing
1: what will it mean to to us because i know australia is is always in trouble for for being one of the highest emitters per capita in in the world and of course you know our economy is 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 based on a lot of fossil fuels coal for example so what will it mean to us
2: Well, I think it'll mean that the government is bound or has made agreements to um, reduce fossil fuel emissions by or carbon dioxide emissions by reasonably um, stringent um, standards. Um, And so it will just mean extra costs. It'll mean more money. It'll mean um, more expensive energy unless, um, of course, there's a lot of innovation between now and 2030, but who knows whether that will happen at this stage. It's just impossible to predict. So I think for us it just means money, uh, and it also means that we'll be donating money to uh, third-world countries to help with their climate funds. Um, so it's, it's, it's a lot of money spinning going on.
1: I saw that wind power is now um, back in favour again after being pretty much uh, told you wouldn't get any money by Tony Abbott. It's now been uh, uh, they're allowed to have money again now.
2: Yeah, that's reflective. I think of the policy directions of, of the two governments. Um, I think the one, the former government, the the Abbott government, was very keen on uh, making fossil fuels cleaner, uh, particularly because they're cheap, and particularly because I think they, the philosophy is that the third world, the easiest way for them to get out of the uh, to get out of their predicament, where they're belching out emissions is for them to modernise and so you give them cheap energy now so that in the future they're modernised and that's the best and the cheapest way to go about it. Of course the current government isn't quite so much on that end of the spectrum. They believe that you can innovate through solar, through wind and those things that so far have proven to be quite expensive.
1: Well talking of the difference between the old Prime Minister and the new Prime Minister, of course uh, um, the old Prime Minister Tony Abbott of uh, course something of a stir with his his speech about uh, about the relationship between Islam and the rest of us
2: Yeah that's right uh, that's very interesting I mean he put out an article um, and most people will know this by now um, just saying that Islam needs to be open to self analysis and, and criticism to ask you know why is extremism so prevalent within their religion now I can't see the issue with that, um, but there was a lot of comparisons made him between uh, between him and Donald Trump. Uh, now, Donald Trump has asked that Muslims should be registered and completely denied immigration, and you know, he said some really extreme things over in the U.S., which are quite different, and I think not as um, not as thoughtful as what. Tony Abbott has said, so I don't think that there is a comparison to be made there, firstly. Uh, and secondly, I can't think of anything more reasonable. I mean, it's worth, it's worth asking why is uh, Islam the, the source of so much violence at the moment? And in fact, if you start to have this conversation, you realise that it's been the source of so much violence for a very long time we uh, we sort of had the lid on it since the war. But uh, it's not unusual um, in the history of that part of the world and the history of the Islamic religion for some pretty severe violence uh, to come out of it. I think Winston Churchill wrote extensively about it in the late 1800s. Um, so it's a conversation we should have. And uh, uh, I think that political leaders should be a little bit more bold about having it, particularly um, a little bit more bold about standing up for Values um, seems a bit of an there's an identity crisis uh, in the West, and we sort of don't know how to address this kind of extremism uh, because we don't really know what we stand for.
1: Because it's interesting at the moment, uh, Angela Merkel, the Chancellor of Germany, uh, who was voted by Time Magazine as the Person of the Year for 2015, she's now pulling back from the open border policy that Germany had before, and and is now saying, look, we, we just can't take we can't take all these people, and there are all these stories of people coming across the border into Germany uh, who are extremists.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to. Um I don't want to pour cold water on Angela Merkel's win with the award. I'm sure she, she deserves that. She's been around for a long time, done a lot of great things. Um, but I think on the open borders, um, it, is, it is telling that the German, even Germany is actually trying to uh, stem the tide there with some pretty serious actions. Um, and, uh, you know, I was talking to you, Alan, um, a few weeks ago, and it was just after Tony Abbott had made his Thatcher uh, lecture mm. speech, and he got criticised a lot. Um, I think he was misunderstood, or perhaps not misunderstood, but I think the criticism was not necessarily well-founded that he had said that, you know, the open borders is going to lead to disaster. Um, It's foolish. Um, And, of course, he got criticised, but here we are in a situation where most European countries are now going, Okay, we've got serious problems. Um, And so there's probably some truth in that. and she's winding back the borders and, and i think that that's that's just wise i mean governments have obligations uh, to their people they've got obligations to their countries to to keep them safe
1: now finally closer to home a bit of a sad sad day because we heard over the weekend of the death from cancer of john bannon the former south australian uh, premier um
2: yeah that's right um john bannon i think he was one of the longest serving labor premiers so he served for 11 years in south australia and i suppose a. Yeah, a reminder to us that uh, there used to be long-serving governments um, (laughs) and uh, in this day and age when we're replacing a Prime Minister and even Premiers in Queensland and Victoria in in sort of no time at all, uh, maybe time to, yeah, respect the office a little more, uh, keep them in a little longer um, and uh, give them an opportunity to to actually make a name for themselves and be remembered. Always
1: good to talk to you, Martin. Thank you very much indeed. We look forward to talking to you again at the same time next week.
2: You too, Alan. Always a pleasure. Thanks.